0: Hey, welcome back to the Female Founder World podcast. I'm Jasmine Gansworthy, I'm the host of the show. I am the creator of Female Founder World. And what we're really trying to do here with this podcast is to bring you the super tactical, tangible lessons and case studies from founders who are building businesses out in the world right now. And today I have something a little bit different. Normally we have an interview with a successful founder. But today I have a recording from a recent event that we did with our amazing partner Shopify in LA and obviously not everyone can come to our physical events and it's definitely kind of the thing that we're becoming most known for now is those in-person activations they're super cool really really special crowd but you know it's not something that we've really been able to scale into every city yet So this time I wanted to record the panel conversation and make it accessible to all of our amazing podcast listeners. And finally, I have it available for you to listen to. So on the panel, we have Amy Lou. She's the founder of Tower 28, which is a clean, vegan, cruelty-free cosmetic brand. And they're actually really known for being safe for sensitive skin. I use their lip jelly, I use their blush cream, and I was a beauty editor for like 10 years. So that's saying a lot. They're really beautiful products. Something that I think is really interesting about Amy's story is within, I think it's two months of launching, they were selling 12,000 lip glosses every single month, which is wild. We also have Natalie Holloway, the founder of Bala. If you don't know them, essentially, along with her business partner and husband she has reinvented those kind of like retro ankle weights that were kind of big in the 80s into something really chic and fashion forward and she's built this really big fitness brand around that and i also have julissa prado the founder of rizzo's curls which is an inclusive hair care brand that celebrates the beauty of curls, coils and waves and they're stocked in target and Ulta like i said this is a live recording of a panel conversation so it feels a little different to our regular podcast but there's so much good stuff in here i just wanted you all to be able to hear it no matter where you're based i hope you love this show and as always drop off that five star review take a screenshot and share on your instagram stories that's how we grow and i'm able to make more podcasts more newsletters and hopefully bring an event to a city near you soon okay let's jump in You are now
1: entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Garnsworthy.
0: Hi everyone. Welcome. I'm seeing lots of new faces and lots of familiar ones, mostly from Instagram and TikTok, but it's great to meet so many of you here tonight. And thank you to Shopify for putting this on. They are a huge supporter of the Female Founder community and Female Founder World as an organization in general as well. So massive, massive thank you to the team. I'm going to start with a little intro yeah let's give them a round of applause who started that yeah i'm going to kick off with a bit of an intro so these are our speakers tonight we are very intentional about the founders that we bring onto a panel at female founder world and it's really about making sure that they are speaking from experience that they are founders who are in the trenches right now building businesses they're not someone who built something 20 years ago and doesn't understand iOS changes in TikTok. And we've got Amy Lou, she is the founder of Tower 28 Beauty. Natalie Holloway from Bala and Julissa Prado from Rizzo Curls. So welcome, everyone. Yeah. If somehow you're not familiar with any of these brands, we have curated a bit of a female founder uh, market around the corner. And they're different brands who have either been on the podcast, they're in our private community, which all of you are welcome to join. They're in the newsletter. They're different Shopify brands that are also in the female founder world community that we want to support. So you can check them out around there and try out all of these three brands as well. So I'm going to start with a bit of an icebreaker question. The first one I want to ask is, I'm going to ask all three of you. When you, were, when you were first starting the business, like, let's, let's really set the tone for tonight. What was one of the really scrappy things that you had to do to get things off the ground? Or the scrappiest thing that you had to do? Who's going first? I mean, everything was scrappy. <laughs> we were literally,
2: you know, working out of my Theohan's garage off of Washington and Crenshaw. The way that we would have orders be taken to the post office took an entire freaking street. So one of my aunts, so I. most of my family lives in mid-city on the same street. And so my aunt that lives on the end of the block would literally notify my aunt that lives like three houses down from us. So then they would start flagging the postman so that it could actually stop. So then by the time they reached the street where my Theo's house was, we would already have all of like my, they would have, they would have already notified us. So we already had all of our boxes like on the curb. So they had no choice but to like pick up our <laughs> orders. So that was one fun, uh, you know, community <laughs> effort um, way for us to get our orders to where they're supposed to go.
3: What else? Mine is similar. Um, Obviously, when you're starting out, you ship every unit by hand unless you have funding. And so that was mine, except for it was weights. So that was very, very challenging. And we had to bribe a lot of family and friends with pizza, essentially, to ship all day long. I mean, we we literally shipped 75,000 units by hand before we got a 3PL, which isn't the smartest move. Like, I should have gotten a 3PL earlier. But I would say that and then a lot of free models so like any friend that would model like i'm actually still sometimes like throwing my hand in as a hand model so just lots of scrappy things wow
1: um okay so i have a had a 3pl from the very beginning (laughs) so i don't get to i don't get to say that but one thing that i think i did that as scrappy we continue to do and hopefully it's something that you can all do as well Um, We actually recruit through TikTok. So what we do is we post things on TikTok, and we'll say, hey, we're hiring for TikTok interns. If you want to be one, create some content and tell us why you would be a great intern. And then they then create that content. We can see what kind of content they're creating. And then they're also at the same time talking about us as a brand. Um, so I think it's been a great thing for us. We've hired interns. We actually had a full-time hire and we're currently looking for a social community coordinator and we've had great people come in through that too. So smart and it's, you know, virtually free. Well, it is free. I mean, you have to pay for the time for the girl who makes the TikToks, but yes.
0: Very smart. (laughs) I like that. Okay. I want to do a bit of a temperature check in the room as well. Um, so if you're someone who has a business right now that you've started, there is something out in the world. Can you raise your hand? Oh, wow. Good for you. And if you're someone who's thinking about starting a business and but you haven't got it out in the, out in the world yet, you're just interested in entrepreneurship and, and this space in general, raise your hand. Very cool. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. I want to start in the really early days and talk about idea validation and some of the things that you each went through when you were starting your businesses that made you think, okay this can be something bigger than just my own pain point here Um, and that's for the folks who want to start businesses but also for the people who already have products out in the world and maybe you want to start you want to launch a new product and you're trying to figure out whether or not that should exist let's start with you amy yeah so our number one selling SKU is a product called sos
1: spray it's actually around the corner it's the big orange bottle it's our only skincare product i actually set out to start a color cosmetics brand. That was where I felt like I saw the need gap. I've had eczema my entire adult life. And one of the things I was trying to do with this was make, I really felt like in skincare, there were a lot of products for people with sensitive skin, but not so much in color. So I wasn't even planning on doing any type of skincare. At one point, my graphic designer actually was working with me and she said, hey, I've been learning about this ingredient called the hypochlorous acid. You should really check it out. And I bought the product that she was talking about and I used it on my face, I used it on my body. It helped my body, but it didn't help my face. And that was enough for me to be like, wait, maybe there's something here. I went and I found a chemist. I found a chemist who happened. I called a bunch of them, by the way, it wasn't my first call, but Google is great to start. Um, I found a chemist who was able to help me formulate something that was, he played with the concentration, the formula, the pH level. And he was like, listen, let's keep playing with this until it helps you with your facial skin. And we got to the point where it worked. We put a hundred of them in little white bottles. And even now, I'm like, I can't believe people tried it. We printed out labels on our printer at the WeWork. (laughs) And we slapped them on me and the two interns I had who are still with me today. We sent them to anyone who would try it. And we just said, if you could just try it and tell us what you think about it. And we found that it really did help people with acne, with... Um, for me, it's eczema. For someone else, it might be psoriasis or sunburn. And that was really how we got started. And we got that product market validation was that we heard what people were saying about the product. And then that kind of gave me the, I don't know, the ability to go out there and really pitch it a little more clearly because I understood what words to use. And also, we were able to source before and after photos, which is a huge part of what we do in beauty, mm. right? And all even today, if you look at our website or Sephora's, all of those before and afters are sourced from the community. So when I would see people post something, even now, when people post like a before and after, we reach out to them and we say, Hey, it looks like you love our products. Do you have a before and after? I'm happy to send you another product if you're well, if you can give me, you know, the rights to use your before and after. And honestly people do it. So scrappy and also a good way to get product market fit.
0: Love that. Natalie, I know that um Bala started with a a sketch on the back of a napkin when you're on a yoga retreat or something. <laughs> it's just, it just sounds incredible. How did you go from that
3: sketch in the back of a napkin to thinking actually this is
0: an idea people want to use?
3: Yeah I mean I think it is very important to validate your idea and do some market research and I think if you're starting early days and you're scrappy and you don't have that much money to pay for that. I think, you know, the normal inclination is to ask your friends, which is totally good and you should ask your friends to try it. But I think, you know, your friends are likely similar to you. So I think it's also very important to ask strangers. And that may sound intimidating, but I think it's like, you know, at an event like this, like approach ten people and say, Would you try my product and trade for the product? Or DM people or, you know, a Facebook group. I think there's lots of ways you can get those people, but I think definitely get those people so that you can learn the negative, the positive, and like really get a feel for what the crowd will say. It doesn't have to be a crazy amount either. It could be like 20 to 30 people. You just want to get those voices. Um, But what we did early days was we actually um, launched on Kickstarter to fund our first production run. So what we didn't even intend on is we were actually validating the market. So we were like, wondering, like, are people gonna buy this? And we were listening to all of the negative reviews and the positive reviews, and like a big insight we learned through Kickstarter is that the original product we launched with was the Ball of bangles, and they were completely pigeonholed as a, we promoted them as a yoga product and what the people were telling us is that these are actually good for running and walking and Pilates and like everything basically. So that was like our largest insight and we learned it from Kickstarter. So I think Kickstarter can be really valuable as well.
2: So my market research early on wasn't even on purpose. It was, um, I was gr- growing up in high school, throughout college. Um, I was always the hair girl and, you know, I think, you know, definitely growing up in communities of color, you kind of see this trend where we all have a little side hustle. Like I had a cousin who did makeup, another cousin that did eyebrows, somebody else that did something else. So uh, we all would kind of put our resources together and just look fly. Um, So I was the hair girl. So any uh, prom and homecoming season, I I, even as a freshman, I was doing all the, I was booked to do the, the senior's hair and um during that time everyone would straighten their hair including myself and but everyone that i would do their hair um had wavy curly or coily hair textures so i started just doing making my own concoctions myself to do my own hair and all of the learnings came from just you know growing up in in immigrant communities um, I feel like something that's very much part of our culture is having these beauty rituals that are passed on through our family and like having these um, natural remedies that are so tied to our own beauty routines. So it was very normal for me to like make natural concoctions and do it to use it on myself. So I started wearing my hair natural and all those people that I was doing their hair, they were like can you do my hair like that? I would meet them in in the bathrooms, in the elevators, in so many different places. These undercover curlies, um, and all of a sudden, yeah, these undercover curlies that That's people people That's that you good. would never know had curly hair. And um, I would just do do their hair, and I would hold these sessions in dorm rooms and so many different places. And it was really interesting because I never did take the hair route. Like everyone thought I was gonna end up on, you know, going to cosmetology school or doing something like that. I was. I never did like I always went for a business and I was always I don't know I always I never thought of it as um my career for some reason it was more so of something that I did from love from that just came from my heart and but it followed me everywhere I went like I remember in my corporate when I was at North Nestle at my corporate job I was at this convention for work, and in the bathroom, I was meeting these undercover curlies, and like literally in the middle of like this session, p- bringing out my little Ziploc bags with my formulas, and like doing her hair in the bathroom. And I think at that moment was when I was like, okay, it's been like ten years of this. I think people keep asking for this. Let me yeah. let me do something.
0: Very cool. I wanna switch gears and talk about marketing. And, you know, we touched on this before, but the digital marketing landscape has completely shifted. Things are looking very, very different to what they did even two years ago. And I wanna know how you're all thinking about that and what was working when you first launched versus what is working right now and how have you shifted with this completely different landscape? And I'm gonna start back with you, Julissa.
2: Man, the last five years have been such a change. I think, you know, when we first launched in 2017, it was like the boom of direct to consumer businesses and a lot of businesses that really were born out of whether it was Facebook or Instagram and now TikTok. So we really did see so many of these businesses um taking steam and then you know during the pandemic it was like everything was all over the place but then we did see a lot of customers especially within beauty be really utilizing um online you know direct to consumer businesses especially to purchase their products and then now it's like we're getting it there, there is a sway between people wanting real life experiences again i think and we have ourselves like we have been seeing more um Less of a direct-to-consumer um, need, but more, but more retail needs. But still, the direct-to-consumer is still there. They just want more le- real-life experiences too. So the way that we've kind of been balancing that is by giving it to people. So um, with our online, with, with our retailers, for example, being able to activate with them, and with our direct-to-consumer business being able to hold some of these um in-person events or in-person classes in-person moments where people are able to like touch feel smell the product um and being able to really try it in their hair maybe learn how to wear it in their hair so kind of having a good balance of both now that we are in um
0: Retail and in direct to consumers, still. And you're in Target and Ulta, Ulta Beauty and Sally Beauty, Mexico. Wow, congrats. Okay. Yeah. That's
3: a lot of distribution.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of distribution. Okay, and what about you, Natalie? How are you thinking about it?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think D2C used to be a lot easier in that sense. It's like you could acquire a customer for a lot cheaper, and now it's very expensive to acquire that customer. So I think brands are thinking about it more from an omni channel perspective. In, when we launched we actually always launched doing retail and D2C so that has helped us now because we were able to kind of learn along the way but now it's all about omni channel because like it's really hard to just be a D2C brand it's too expensive um, so I think and then also I think you're having to really find the customer and meet them on their terms so your like your own retail is really important or like you said events events like this like however you can engage with that customer like you have to kind of be creative and scrappy about it like even on um, TikTok and Instagram instead of necessarily posting from your own brand because the algorithm is not as yeah. good it's <laughs> like this you, you have to like use content creators and actually like your launch plan is a little bit different it's not necessarily all about your own Instagram and TikTok it's like what creators are actually posting about our brand like let's get 10 to 15 creators to post about it on our behalf because it's just way better better with the algorithm and I think you're you're just seeing things shift like that and you're having to be a lot more creative about meeting the customer in many different areas of their life and not just on your D to C.
1: yeah I 100% agree with what both of you have said and I think the thing that we're really shifting is when we started, we put more focus on Instagram and we still do, but Instagram, obviously TikTok has been a huge new thing too. Um, I think The part of it that I'll talk about today is really the influencer part. So what I really spend a lot of our time doing is seating seeding and gifting, because really at the end of the day for a makeup brand, what you want to see is a before and after, and you want to see people using it, and the endorsement is so important. We haven't ever had, I've raised not that much money, and so we've never really spent that much money on performance. We also went into Sephora, all stores, US and Canada, immediately. And so retail was always just going to be such a bigger part of our pie. Um, the influencer thing has really shifted, right? Like when I first started, three and a half years ago, we launched, that was still when people were sending like a life-size beauty blender, right? I don't know if you guys remember that, like a life-size beauty blender was being sent to your house. And then and it was like, how can we outdo the next person? So that part has changed. And it also is in the very beginning, we went to everyone's YouTube profiles and we just wrote down addresses and we blind sent to people guess what you kind of can't do that anymore now people find it invasive and they're like you need to ask me for permission so it's a different thing than it used to be and you also can't gift like I think before it was like let me find the macros and just gift you know a hundred people who have a following that is I don't know, hundreds of thousands. And that was kind of the goal. And now everything has become democratized. And so instead of sending like 200, we just launched our mascara, which is around the corner and we sent out a thousand this time, which is a lot more lift and it's a lot more money. So we're really going deeper into influencer, but in a much more nano way.
0: Interesting. What you were just saying then about people finding it invasive, sending those mailers. Mm. So I, before I was doing this, I worked as a fashion and beauty editor and I was definitely receiving those mailers where it was this real one-upmanship between beauty brands trying to do bigger and better. You'd get every product in the range and then everyone started working from home and all of a sudden you would just get bombarded with these ridiculous packages and (laughs) trash. And And in the past you'd be in a shared office space. So you'd leave things on the desk, you'd be able to share it. And now when a brand sends something that you haven't requested, you're so right. It feels super invasive and it's not a good impression.
1: No, totally. So you have to be a lot more thoughtful.
0: One of the things that we're, we're hearing quite a bit from um, founders in the community is that it's easier than ever to launch a brand now. Like obviously you can start a Shopify store, you can go viral on TikTok, like you can get your packaging on pack lane and get 20 units to begin with but actually what's really difficult is staying relevant as things are getting more and more competitive and there's this culture of new, new, new. Mm -hmm. How do you build a brand with longevity in that environment? And I'm gonna let whoever feels more strongly about it speak to that.
1: Well, I was just gonna say
3: like, you know, like do a deep dive into why your brand exists and why it's different and like keep doing that deep dive and i think as long as you like truly know who you are your mission your products all of that and stay authentic to who you are i think people will really respect and understand that and then you'll gain your own um following and then i think that but then also it's like it's important to be thinking about like the future like this is maybe you just launched your product and it was a, a hit that's great but like what's next, or it doesn't even have to be a product next, but, like, what's next for your brand? So always be thinking, like, two, three, five years ahead and, like, continue to innovate and invest in innovation, whatever that means. If that means, like, a product designer for you or, like, a community manager that's truly going to build the community, like, just always be thinking about the future because I think you have to, like, focus on the now and the future when you're a business owner.
2: Yeah, and I think... (laughs) Whatever you need to do to truly, truly love and be obsessed with whatever product or service that you are providing. Because for me, like, it's so easy for me to sell a product when I'm like, I please come and challenge my product. Let's do a hair off right now. Bring two girls right here. Let's start with your stuff, let's start with my stuff, and let's do it. Like, I, I'm so, like, there's literally no way y'all gonna win. Like, my shit is the best out there. The ingredients are the best. Like, I was in it from the very beginning. Ain't nobody take two years to formulate this, like, one little thing. Like, I know how much I pay for my formulas. I know how much I source every single ingredient, how how much I'm like so passionate and invested in every single item like I know how many of the ingredients that are in there that are actually like really helping you with the long-term health of your hair and not just giving you immediate you know beauty so I'm just like I don't even need to say anything like go ahead tuck your shit in products go ahead try it one time like you know what I mean so I feel like for me have being like unless i absolutely am obsessed with it like that i can't launch it and we've had so many situations and i'm sure y'all can attest to this when it's like oh this lead time and you're getting pressured to release something prematurely or you're getting pressured to already approve something and there's so many different things pulling me and i don't care to be that rude annoying person and be like no I am a brat if I don't absolutely love and I'm obsessed with it absolutely not it's not going in my hair I don't want it my customers don't want it and I cannot uh market it in any way do you know what I mean so it's like being that extra about it like the amount of times that I've gotten on a zoom call with my chemist and just after like 10 rounds of stuff and everyone's just over me and they're like ready to just drop the product all together and I'm like I'm I literally was like I'm Please, I'm gonna. I'm coming over yeah. and I'm gonna do this on your hair. Let's go to the bathroom. Yeah. I'm gonna do your hair. And I literally did my chemist's hair and I showed her how it wasn't working oh, I, and what yeah. I was looking for. I
1: put that makeup on my male chemist.
2: <laughs> yeah, and like look at
1: it on your skin. That is do, ashy.
2: Yeah, do you, do you like this? No, all right, then why would my customers like it? You know what I mean? So yeah. I am that extra and I feel like that is the difference. Like that is what it takes in order to. Um, really deliver something that's different in the market yeah. where it's like, bro, like drop, drop, drop the mic, like come yeah. on, <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> She's making me
2: laugh. Um, <laughs> I, 100%. I
1: think especially since so many of you are business owners in the room, I think one thing you might understand is how it's really compelling to launch new because you know that you're going to get that hit, you You have something to talk about that's new, you have a revenue stream that's gonna come in. Like, it's really, um, it's, it's addictive, honestly, to launch newness. But the problem with newness is it's expensive, and if you do it too often, and it's not gonna stick, then you've made a lot of effort, and it's expensive to launch product, too. So if it doesn't stick around, then you have a different problem. And then especially once you have a retailer, you have inventory issues and all those kinds of things. So as much as you can, I would really try to do exactly what these ladies are saying, like figure out your why, figure out what you're doing, be really dogged about making sure that everything you launch is amazing. I am not famous. I don't have any influence. I'm not Brad Pitt and Travis Barker who just launched product launched skincare lines this week. We can week. we can talk about that. No way. I mean that's that's real that's real talk. Um, but like I just met like from the beginning I was like, I don't have the liberty of launching products and I'm not saying their products are bad, I have no idea, but like I I need the trust of my customer because I have to work harder to get it and I cannot lose it. So you have to launch products that you really believe in, especially when you have a finite amount of, like all of us do, time, money, and resources. So be really thoughtful about those things because those are the things that can really bite you in the ass later. If you launch something that is shit and you have to take the whole thing back, that retailer will send that entire thing Back to you. I we actually we launched a product and we put it in a Sephora Favorites kit. We made twenty thousand of them. There were reviews that were polarizing. It was like this is the best thing ever. I love it. And then we got reviews that were like, it was great until it melted in my pocket. And we were like, oh shit, it's melting. And literally that truck was coming to my 3PL. And I called the warehouse. I was like, you tell it to turn around. You do not accept that truck. Because the minute you accept it, it's your property, Mm -hmm. right? And I was like, you send it right back home. I don't want that melted product. And I called Sephora and I was like, I know you drilled the hole. I know it's sitting there. We're going to cover it up with a graphic. And by the way, it's taken us a year and a half to relaunch that product. And they've been so patient. But I think the more honest you are with your retailers, too, the more they're like, "Okay, look, she actually, they trust me because they're like, Okay, she doesn't want You know, it's bad for them, too. So moral of the story just being do what these ladies (laughs) said
2: and that takes a lot of guts like her her like she I feel like she skimmed through like oh I had to call them and tell them (laughs) I was (laughs) scared as shit (laughs) I was like I have something to tell you (laughs) it it takes a lot of guts to pick up the phone did you see the reviews (laughs) conversation so yeah
0: so you mentioned time money and resources there and I want to talk about money for a little while um we're going to talk about fundraising in a second but first of all I feel like something that a lot of people don't understand when you start a business is it's actually really common not to pay yourselves for quite a long time. I still haven't paid myself. Yeah. Same. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So this this is a thing. And I just feel like we, we needed to lay that out first and that you can be building really big businesses and have distribution and targets and, and Sephora and still be reinvesting everything back into the business. But let's talk about uh, fundraising now. And we're hearing over and over again that it is, it is hard out there. And Natalie, I know that you're raising right now Uh, For folks who are out here, maybe they haven't ever been able to raise any money. Maybe they are bootstrapping on purpose. What advice do you have for them on how to manage their cash flow and how to bootstrap? And let's start with you, Jalissa, because I know you got to a million in revenue before you...
2: I've never taken funding, yeah. So I, yeah, I've, till this day, we're still 100% self-funded, which to me i think at this point i'm like how far can i go because and so many of the the spaces that we will be in i'm like not only are we the only self-funded but we'll be like the first latina hair care brand in here the first latina here and i'm like yeah i'm the first latina and i'm self-funded like and i own my actually own my company and like some sometimes you'll see some of these businesses that like i'm sure y'all can attest you compete with and it's like it's like some some old white man and so like with a bunch of people, like who owns this? You're like who who is the founder? And it's like they're nowhere to be found. There's like, you know, they have so much money and um to to just throw at marketing, and you're just like, what am I supposed to do? So I'm really really proud of that, and I think that one thing that I feel like um you learn when you don't have a lot of money is how to stretch your dollar and get really creative and i think that being in this process what it has taught me so much is okay (laughs) y'all okay so i think it can be very discouraging entering any industry and seeing all your competitors with like millions of dollars of marketing and you're like oh wow i have like a hundred dollars great i love that (laughs) but when i tell you like they are shaking in their boots They are shaking in their boots because what they don't have that y'all have is a deep rooted knowledge in the industry, a deep rooted knowledge in community, a deep rooted knowledge in like what people need, how to really like connect with them, how to make them feel seen, how to make them feel represented and a way that you can speak to them. Like, no, none of these big companies cannot, like, they cannot speak to them how we can speak to them, you know? And especially when you get niche, because niche is the new mainstream, you know? And especially when you're able to get specific with who you are reaching, oh, my God, the way that you you will, they will be trying, doing everything they can in their power, you know what I mean, to compete with you. And at that point, it's like th- there's nothing they can do because, honestly, like, being small, too, is There's so many advantages to being small. Nobody can be as versatile, be on trend, be cool, turn, adapt to changes as a small business. You know, these big, huge businesses are, by the time they catch up and figure out what's going on, they're going through I don't know how many processes and it's too late, it's over, you know? So I think really honing in on what advantages as a small business you have over your competitors and then making that your competitive advantage, you know? Like, don't compete with them on their strengths. Look at all their weaknesses and their, and their opportunities, because I'm sure they're going to have a lot and be like, all right, I'm going to come for you with all of that. I'm going to make sure those are my strengths. So,
3: yeah, it's possible. Yeah. That was spot on. Um, <laughs> but I think, um, let's see. Okay, I always say don't quit your day job until you absolutely need to. It sounds, like, crazy, but... Um, Like, for example, my husband and I started the business and we both worked full time jobs in advertising pre-COVID, which is like notoriously like late nights. You're always flying places for shoots. And we just were like, we're going to grind this out and make this work. And we didn't quit our jobs until like two years in, really. And at that point, it was literally after we it was like, I think my husband finally quit like couple days after we aired on shark tank and he's that's how conservative we were being because he quit actually like after I did and his job was like paying for our living. So it was like paying for our rent, paying for our groceries. And that's how we were able to not pay ourselves. And so I always say like, even if it's like a side job, like don't quit your job until you absolutely have to and like at the point we quit we literally aired on shark tank so you really can stretch it far um so there's that and then we only ever took on the nine hundred thousand dollars from shark tank so it 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 really does teach you to be scrappy it's like uh somebody's telling me this shoots it's gonna cost us fifty thousand dollars and i'm like I know I can do it for like $5,000 because I've had to before. And so you kind of just know what things cost and that's really, really helpful. Um, And then you can like remain scrappy. But yes, I am. We just kicked off a raise. Um, So there does come a point, maybe not for all brands. It's lucky if you never have to raise, that's amazing. Um, We stretched as far as we could. And now is the time it's like to unlock further scale. Like we're going to be in Target next year. Like a lot of things are happening where it's like, now is the time for us to raise. So we're raising five million. It's a totally different <laughs> it's a totally different landscape than it was like a year ago. So it's very hard to raise money. So I think what you're seeing is you're not seeing like inflated valuations. You have to be a lot more realistic with them. And I think not only that, you're not seeing brands like random brands that would have like, you know, not a lot of revenue would be like, I'm gonna be a hundred million in revenue in three years. And they haven't even maybe reached a million revenues so here, like, hmm, but that was like the story a year ago, and now it's different. Like you really have to like be real, realistic with your valuation, your revenue, and then also like very clear on, on your roadmap and how you're gonna get there. Because investors know how tough the market is right now. There's a potential recession. It's impossible to acquire a customer on D2C. Like, everything's like, there's something stacked against us that we'll have to fight through. And so I think it's just really important to be like honest with the investors. And I think so far they're appreciating that. So,
1: yeah. Um,
3: so two things,
1: one, I would say when it comes
3: to fundraising,
1: it can be, and then when it comes to anything, honestly, just run your own race. Like it is so easy to look around and feel intimidated and to feel like, oh, but like, if I look at my, the category that we compete against and, Like everyone, literally everyone has fundraised except for us. It's taken institutional money. We've taken, at this point, we've raised a million dollars of friends and family. Um, And it's really, sometimes you're like, you know, like a competitor of ours recently, we heard raised a bunch of money. They hired a CEO. They did all these things. And I'm like, it's like, you feel like, wait a minute, should I be doing those things? Am I not good enough? Do I need it like a, you know, a fancy CEO to be in place? At the end of the day, you have to think about what kind of a business you want to run. I want to be the CEO. I want this experience. I want to be on the journey. So it's more about that for me than it is about um, how much money I raise and how fast I can get there. So that It's less about speed to me. So I think you have to really think about what kind of a business you want to run and how you want to be part of it. I have a really good friend of mine who's a founder who had a really big exit, and she is so... I don't want to say unhappy, but when I talk to her about it, she's like, yes, I got the number, but I didn't do it the way I wanted to do it. I didn't, I left so much money on the table. I got D, like she felt like as a woman, she kind of got put into a place where they brought in a CEO that was a man. Like there was all these things about it that didn't go, she, she got the outcome, but she didn't get the personal satisfaction out of it. So I think really just thinking about what that looks like for you, which could be with, with funding raising and it could be without. The first the other question about what's a good way to kind of make sure that you get your money to go further i always think about making sure that you what's the saying um hire slow fire fast i think that's exactly what you should do i have taken i'm lucky that i came i'm working in the same industry that i've worked in for i've been in the beauty industry for at this point i think 18 years so because of that i have a lot of friends in the beauty industry i started out hiring young girls who had first job out of college because i felt like i could train them so i was able to start them as interns make sure i liked them bring them on at relatively low rates right because their first job out of college and then for the areas that I didn't know what I was doing and I don't want to know, like operations, not super interested, <laughs> right? Like I was able to like bring someone on who was willing to do it part-time first. And then when I got to the point, I was like, okay, now I can bring you on full-time. So I think if you can find access to people who know what they're doing and access them in a way that feels fair to them, but you're able to pay them less just cause you're not, you don't need that many hours. I think it's a great way to do it. And then you test each other out and then you can bring them on full-time
0: amazing i love a really tangible takeaway there i have one more question but i wanted to open it up to you guys out there if you have any questions for any of the founders all of the founders on the panel tonight this is really about facilitating the conversation between you guys and you guys and i want to make sure that um this is super valuable for you so if you just say it super clearly and then i'll try and repeat it to the mic let's start with you over at the back Is there someone that you want to answer specifically?
1: No, (laughs) I'll go first. Hiring the wrong person is painful. Um, I think you can get really... So in, in this particular example I'm thinking of, I got really a really sexy resume sometimes from a company that's much bigger, that you really admire, where somebody's leading a really big team, and you're like, this looks so amazing, and then you... But maybe they're not, they've never been in a small company, right? So it's not even that they're not the right, they're not a good person, they're not good at their job, but they're just not the right fit for what you're doing. And the amount of effort it takes to kind of unwind something like that is both, I I don't know how many of you have fired people, but it is not fun. It's the worst. And the mental tech, like, I mean, I didn't sleep for like two weeks from the time I decided. Like, it's just, it's, it really is genuinely hard if you care about people. Um, and I think hiring people now, like, you know, they, people have careers and, and kids and
3: families. And so I take it really seriously, but I really think that is one of the biggest. So mine is retail related. Um, I think that it's really exciting when you get into a big retailer. And my advice is really, like, don't take a huge PO at first. Like, test to make sure it's a good fit. And I think we learned this the hard way because, weirdly, you would think we would – Bala is a fitness brand. Like, you would think, oh, it's going to do so well at Dick's Sporting Goods. And um, Dick's came came to us – I don't know if this is, like – I'm not supposed to say the name but (laughs) too late so they came to us and they were like we're gonna do (laughs) they're a huge po like giant and we were like whoa this is absolutely amazing very excited actually um even mark cuban told us not to but we're like what does he know and we went (laughs) ahead and did it and flash forward it wasn't really necessarily a market fit and they bought a ton of units like 60,000 units of a specific item. And so essentially what happened is like when you're with a big retailer, it's their terms. Like they won't pay you. They're going to return it. You're going to be stuck with all this inventory that you don't need. And that's exactly what happened to us. And it really like took us... Because we didn't need that specific skew. Like, we had tons of it. And so, essentially, um, it took us, like, a year to get rid of. I mean, it was a huge loss at the end of the day. And so, what I learned is, like, take a small PO. If you get a crazy large order and you're like, this is kind of exciting, but why? It's, like, too big. Like, the best and worst case is you sell out. Or on that site and like if, if you sell out on goop like that's that's amazing so and then you can reship them product like they might be out for a few weeks that's okay um so i think really know your brand and be like what is like what are other people selling it at and then just like push back on the PO. like don't accept a crazy large po that's the only time it's happened to us but it was like it could have put some businesses like out of business. So I just think like be very careful about your retail partners and also like the size of the POs because, you know, just you know, swim slow at first in that sense.
2: Yeah, I would just say don't be afraid to say no. I think in the beginning there were so many um like opportunities of like (laughs) gift 5,000 to this like fancy award show and it's so many celebrities and oh my God, VIP, like you have to do this, huge opportunity. (laughs) And then you do it and you're like, damn, I'm out of 5,000 units of my product that I could have used to seed actual customers that like care and you know, now I'm like nothing to show for it. So I would just be like, not every opportunity is the right opportunity for you. So just, and don't be afraid to say no.
1: Can I just add on really quick to mine? Um, One thing that I learned from somebody else that I started doing because I had that problem before is we now put all of our employees, when we in the offer letter, we actually state a 90-day probationary period, which just gives you a little bit more protection too. So just in case you're not
0: doing that. Great tip. Okay, who else has a question? Down the back in the orange.
2: Like like changing like the website name
4: or something like that. Creating a new system that people are not used to in general, like creating a new creating a new experience, right? It could be something just really basic, but people are like used to a .com, right, versus a .ng. So when is a good? What is a good way to weigh? If I should educate them or if I should just conform. So
2: did you launch with the the other version?
4: Yes. I and launched- then now
2: you want to, after like a year or something, you want to transition into another one?
4: So I launched in Nigeria and then I moved here. And it's also a Nigerian-based brand because it's based off my tradition. So I've been told, it's like, you're in the U.S. now. So people are used to .com versus .ng. And it seems very small, but the more people get to know about your brand, it's like... If I go in and I type in the clothing line, like the name is Ryo, If I type it out and I put .com, then it's sending somebody else to a different website. So, how do you weigh if I should change or if I should like just like square up and?
1: I don't know that much about tech, but can't you just buy
4: both? domains? Yeah, I was about to say, girl, do both.
3: Yeah. Do, a, do a redirect. Like, yeah. Bala get and both. Shop Bala. Both of them.
4: It's like ten thousand dollars. No way. Don't I get both.
3: Is, is it because really? Of, because of the domain. Oh, because somebody else owns yes. the .com one. Uh huh. Could you yeah. do shoprio.com like we did that shopbala.com? Okay, and
4: okay. then you
3: can buy Google ads against shopbala. Like, it's like if you go to bala.com, no idea who owns that, but mm-hmm. not us. It's like and then so your oh, Google yeah. ads could be tied to shoprio.com, and then you just build uh, up your yeah, yeah
2: and then okay. do SEO and then like and you'll you know build up your search and you'll be to well. build up your search even if they search their stuff mm-hmm. with the dot .com have it like be tra- yeah. redirected to yours, and then you can build up SEO with like simple blogs on yeah. your own website you can do it with like keywords and you know yeah. what i mean you don't you don't have
0: to necessarily do it with like paid mm-hmm.
4: so okay mm-hmm. thank you
0: okay we've got time for one more i'm gonna ask down the front here mic? Um, for you as well to oh. the drama voice but um <laughs> do
3: you ever feel like a fraud or an imposter or like every day- And it's it's likely because you're women, so yes. (laughs) And then, um, do you have any
0: tips or advice or um, kind of pragmatic, practical things that you can do to get past that? Who feels passionately about that?
1: I, I mean, the answer is every day, right? There's different points at which. I mean, I, I. I have been in the same industry for, I was in the same industry for 14 years before I started doing this. And I was in small companies, right? So I worked at Josie Mayer and Kate Somerville, Smashbox. Like I thought I knew so much. I went to business school. I really thought I knew a lot. Guess what? There is so much I don't know. <laughs> and I think it's shocking to me sometimes how much, cause the world changes and, and there's, I mean, it's also my first time being a founder, my first time being a CEO, my first time like managing what i'm doing but so that's everyone right we're all doing whatever we're doing for the first time i think one thing that helped me was i start i worked with other founders and i got really close to them and i saw them in action and i was like wait a minute i don't know like they're smart too but i'm smart in a different way too so i think that kind of helps i think having a founder community like this helps a lot i've actually found that you know it's made so there's no other um, community that I have found so much they just understand like nobody else understands the same way another founder does what it's like to deal with these things because it can be a really lonely process
0: so I would find other people going through the same thing can I just do a follow-up there where do you find those people this is a piece of advice that we hear so yeah <laughs> Here. We get this so much on the on the podcast where I say, you know, I, I ask for a recommendation or a resource and founders always say, you need to go and find people who are two steps ahead of you and find peer mentors who are at the same kind of stage yeah. in business as you are right now. Are you, obviously we have a private community, come and join it. You'll find all your people there. But are you connecting with people on DM on Instagram? Like where, where else are you finding those people?
3: Um, I actually have an interesting resource. So, well, obviously, events like this, like, this is amazing. Go to all of these. Um, I think DMs, too. It's, like, every now and then there's another founder that goes into my DMs. You know, and we, we meet. Um, but another resource that's interesting, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's called Intro. And I met Claire on there. Um, so you can, I'm on it. And a lot of people are on it, business owners, like, interior designers. like. And the point is, basically, you pay, you pay to book someone, but there's, like, crazy like the person who founded like Zillow is on there. You know, so there's like insane resources, like high and low. And so you could potentially book like I think that's an a unique way that you could like engage with somebody. Like I had a call I call with two girls here, one from intro and one from some I think my DMs or random email. So I think you can obviously cold reach out, but if sometimes you might not get a million responses. So if like it's called intro. It's literally intro. I don't know the um, intro.co I think or something, but it's an app. And so basically you can book people. And I think through that, like I've made a million connections. Like there was a girl who had an SEO company that was like asking it for advice. And weirdly now we're going to use her SEO company. And so I just think that's also a cool resource. I've actually paid for intro calls as well with people. So
0: interesting. nice.
1: Um, I think events make a big difference. There's other uh, service people, like um like investment bankers, lawyers who know a lot of other people, people who re- like fund people who fundraise like um, private equity people that know other people. At the end of the day, it's a lot easier to get a warm intro to someone than it is to cold call anyone, and that's just the way the world works. Um, but also, like if you're at an event and you go up to somebody, yeah, say hi. I was at a Credo Summit in January of 2020 and there were a bunch of us that were exhibiting, a bunch of brands, and we just honestly kind of met there at the event and a bunch of us just traded and now we have there's a of six of us on a text chain and we just email each other. We just text each other and we're like, "Hey, has anyone had this problem before? Do, do you understand what's going on with this?" Like and it's just amazing to have that kind of a resource. So yeah, I would just be friendly. And I think if you really believe in collaboration over competition, which I think all of us
0: do or we wouldn't be here, then you'll you'll find your people. Amazing. This is the last question. I can't believe I'm closing this because I could talk to you guys all night. <laughs> uh, I want to finish with a resource and that can be a tool that you're using an app that you have a podcast that you listen to a habit that you do every day. Just something that's been helping you all as you've been up leveling as founders and CEOs. I'll start with you, Julissa down the end. Um,
2: so my, I use Shopify. So, and my Shopify contact like probably is so fed up with me because the amount of times that I literally, Um, Go on there, and I ask them to analyze my website and, like, uh, um, suggest different apps for me is crazy. Like, since the beginning, though, and I think that um, one thing that my mom has a saying that goes, el que paga manda, which means um, the person that pays has the last, like, um, how do you even say that? Like, um, when you pay, like, you get your money's worth, so that's how i view all of these resources like if i'm on shopify if i'm paying for um you know mailchimp if i'm paying for this it's like no 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 like i'm paying for this service and i'm gonna get every single money's worth out of it so i really really highly recommend you to um, reach out to them ask for to get a contact ask them to look at like the processes that you currently have at your website at all these things and suggest um, improvements and and literally give you feedback and the amount of times that that feedback has been really helpful and we've actually implemented is like pretty much like every time we usually implement at least one of the tips so I really um, suggest to you know get your el que paga manda, get your money's worth. <laughs>
3: Good. Um, Okay, I have two. One is, I'll be quick, um, EcoCart. And we we just integrated this. It integrates with Shopify, but it's really cool because it basically makes your um, delivery carbon neutral and you can either pay for it as a brand, or the customer pays for it. And it's very minimal, like, I don't know, 99 cents or something to the customer. So usually they're happy to pay it, and it's cool because it's good for the environment, and it also helps with conversion. So that's a cool one. And then also, I just learned about something called Kick Further, and that's actually, it's kind of like Kickstarter, but it's more about if you're raising money, and you can put your brand on Kick Further, and basically it makes like, ordinary people who aren't investors be able to invest in cool up and coming brands. So like any of us could go on there and invest in a brand and give $500 or $1,000. And so you can get the word out there about your brand, but also raise money via a safe note. So I thought that was interesting. haven't done a ton of research on it, but I think that's a really cool resource.
1: Cool. Um, So we are in the process of hiring people and growing which is great great problems to have but it is hard because it means every time you bring on a new person you basically reshuffle the deck and you're like okay now what is your job what is your job what is your job so one of the things I made everybody I I bought the book so you can read the book but it's um the Simon Sinek book have you have you starts with why I think it's called you could also just watch the TED talk (laughs) just saying it's like a 17 minute TED talk I watch it once every year probably, just to kind of reinforce it. And one of the things I'm doing with my team right now is trying to really get to each of their why so they really understand what their role is. My thought around it is basically like, I don't know, if you're a goalie um, you know, in soccer or whatever it is and you think that your job is just to like block the ball, that's different than if you're thinking, my job is to make sure nobody scores, right? Then you understand more broadly what your role is because then you're like thinking about where you're throwing the ball and et cetera, et cetera. So that's something that I'm trying to do with my team right now. So if you don't wanna read the book, watch the TED Talk.
0: Great, they're very actionable and tangible. I love an insight like that. Thank you all so much for your time tonight. It has been an absolute pleasure interviewing you and I think they deserve a round of applause, everyone. Thank you, everyone. So we do have the space until about nine and you can stay out here, mingle, have another drink, grab some more food, or we're doing a breakout group over here with Angela, the, com- the co-founder of Common Air. And uh, we, we're gonna be talking about fundraising, about brand building, and you'll just have more intimate one-on-one time, because I know a bunch of you still have questions and Angela will be a great person to kind of like talk you through those. So that's happening in the lounge area closest to the bar over there. Thank you all so much and enjoy the night. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Female Founder World podcast. It's something a little different. Hope you liked it. If you did enjoy the show, we are sending out a free PR contact database for consumer brands and female founders to everyone who drops a review of the show. So make sure you take a screenshot of that review and DM it to us on Instagram at female founder world or at Jasmine Garnsworthy. That is the best way to get your hands on this very hard to get resource.